Good morning and welcome, everybody. I'm so glad that uh, we get to be together like this. Today we have the special honor and the opportunity to welcome Pastor Clarence Stamps to speak into uh, our church as a community. I first met Clarence at a preaching workshop not too long ago. In church, I was just blown away by God's vision being lived out through Clarence and his uh, new church, Indwelling Community Church, and I think we'll hear a little bit more about that in just a moment. Planted just recently here in September, and God has been blessing it and growing it, and I've been so impressed with Clarence, and I'm so grateful that you decided to join us and to, uh, to speak to us as a community. Let's welcome Clarence Stamps. Thank you. Uh... First and foremost, I consider it uh, a joy and a privilege to be with you guys uh, this morning. Um, I wish I could be here to see your smiling faces, but again, we're grateful for the privilege of technology, which you're all well aware of, um, that gives us this opportunity to do things this way. Uh, grateful for Pastor Dirk, uh, not only for that introduction, but also for the invitation to come uh, and share with all of you. Um, yeah, so uh, Indwelling Community Church launched last, uh, last year in September. Grateful for the work in which the Lord has allowing us to do at 800 Monroe in downtown GR. Um, if you're ever free, ever just around the downtown area on a Sunday morning around 10 o'clock, we would love to see you uh, for a time of worship and proclaiming our great God as King. Um, so I am well aware that many of you do not know who I am. So allow me to kind of share uh, a little bit of information um, about myself. I just kind of look a little uh, just spoiler, I guess, about myself. Um, I was once in Boy Scouts. Um, I would ask how many of you were also in Scouts, but I won't be able to see you. So I'm going to assume some of you are at least involved in Scouts when you were younger or maybe involved in it now. Um, I started when I was a Cub Scout. So I started as like a wolf. And um, it, it was really fun. Like my friends were involved. We had fun. We went camping. Uh, we did Pinewood Derby uh, races. Um, and we sold very expensive popcorn that no one ever bought. Like that is like my biggest gripe. Uh, with being a Cub Scout is that the Girl Scouts, they get these cookies that everyone goes wild and crazy and orders 15 boxes for, and yet I go around for three and a half weeks and no one buys my $22.50 little small bag of caramel popcorn. Um, I digress. Um, so I, my friends and I, we were in Cub Scouts together, and eventually we made the leap to go into Boy Scouts, um, all with the chief aim of becoming an Eagle Scout, which is the highest rank you can receive in scouting. And again, we were having fun. We went camping. We earned mayor badges. We even marched in a few parades, such as the Memorial Day Parade, for instance. But there came a point in time once we reached our teenage years that a lot of my friends began to lose interest. I mean, if I can be honest, um, I even began to lose interest myself. Um, I think primarily I lost interest because I never actually bought in to scouting. I was really never committed to it. I was never really uh, disciplined or diligent um, within it. Um, I was involved because my friends were there, and I was involved because we were having fun. Um, I was never actually bought into the process. So I remember it was roughly around the age of 17, roughly nine months before my 18th birthday. Um, and 18 is kind of the cutoff for scouting until you can get your eagle. Um, and I made the decision that I was done. I didn't want to do any more. This was a waste of time. I just didn't want this process anymore. But in those rare occurrences when I did show my face, maybe it was for an outing, maybe it was for a parade or something like that, when I had my scouting uniform on with all the mirror badges on it, I began to build uh, this reputation about myself. 
Um, I built this reputation and this acclaim and this prestige of being this, this diligent and this disciplined and this honorable scout um, that was pursuing his Eagle Scout rank. In this time in which I decided that I was done, I was at the rank of life, which is the rank right before you actually achieve the Eagle Scout rank. Now, now maybe you hear uh, this uh, story about myself, and you may be saying to my then 17-year-old self, uh, Clarence, why would you quit when the reward is so close? Clarence, why would you be so focused on living your life for the reputation and for the acclaim and the prestige of others when your life did not actually mimic what people were actually saying about you? If these are pointed questions you're thinking or saying to yourself about my then 17-year-old self, may I suggest to you that these are also questions the Spirit may be asking each and every one of us this morning. Why have you quit when the reward is so close? Why have you started living to the reputation and the acclaim and the prestige in which people suggest and give to you, but yet your life in this current moment does not resemble that reality? And maybe as you thought my then 17-year-old self was foolish for quitting so close, maybe the Spirit is saying the same thing to us this morning, that the decision in which you've chosen to make or you haven't made yet is foolish and it's actually hurting you. I believe the Spirit of God desires to speak into this reality, speak into this portion of our lives this morning. So if you have a copy of the Word of God with you, whether in print or whether on your phones, my encouragement would be to join me at the back end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 3. Um, It's within Revelation chapter 3 that we find uh, a letter written to the church of Sardis. Um, you're well aware of Revelation. You're well aware that the first couple chapters, you find these seven letters that have gone out to the seven churches. Um, and Sardis is the fifth church in this kind of sequence in which we'll take the opportunity uh, to study this morning. Uh, so Revelation chapter 3, um, starting at verse number 1. Uh, to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. So, so, so here we kind of have uh, kind of the letter of Sardis here. And, and kind of just to kind of give a little kind of just information about some of the things we encounter, at least in verse number one, we, we, we see that uh, these are the words written and kind of held by these seven spirits or the sevenfold spirit. And this kind of represents the Holy Spirit. And it is Jesus who possesses the fullness of the Holy Spirit with a desire to give of his spirit to his people and to his church. That Jesus, he is the one true living God who is alive and desires to see his people and desires to see his church alive and thriving. And when we think of the church of Sardis, they are a church that is alive and they are thriving. At least that's what they think and the people around them happen to think. Um, allow me to give you a little information about the church of Sardis. The church of Sardis was this very wealthy, this very affluent city. Um, and they prided themselves on this Acropolis in which they had. Um, this Acropolis was this 1,500 foot uh, from the bottom to the top um, kind of mountain ridge um, that protected them from their enemies. So it made it next to impossible for their enemies to come and to attack them because of this large Acropolis they had. And, and they prided themselves 
on this very thing. If we happen to use our homiletical imagination this morning, I can imagine that these individuals who represent the church of Sardis have gathered together on a Lord's Day for worship. Um, They've came together inside the building, and I can imagine their chests are poked out. Why? Because they're Sardis. Because everyone in and around them hold them to such high esteem. They, they have this reputation. They have this acclaim. They have this prestige. They, they are the church of all churches, people would say. That, that when you desire, when you think of the church, uh, Christ would actually desire and dwell in, it would be the church of Sardis, they would say. I, I mean, they have the best women's ministry. They got the best men's ministry. Their kids' ministry is out of this world. They are the church of all churches, and they know it. I can imagine as they're gathering together that a letter carrier comes into the room. And based upon their close proximity to Ephesus and to Smyrna, which are two other churches or two other cities who have received letters, that they're well aware that within this letter, and which is from Jesus himself, within this letter comes commendation. It comes affirmation. Like they're well aware based upon the churches that are in close proximity who have also received letters that Jesus has affirmed uh, the removal of wicked behavior amongst the body. Uh, Jesus has given commendation for those who've managed to stay true to the gospel despite cultural pressure. They're well aware that Jesus has affirmed and given them commendation over the simple fact that they've managed to continue to stand calling them rich even, uh, even as they're navigating through the struggles of life. So because they're thinking they are Sardis and they have this great reputation and this prestige, everything going well for them, the first thing they are expecting is commendation and affirmation from the Lord. The the letter, it's open and the first couple lines of the letter are read and the first couple lines of the letter mimic the very first two verses in which we just read in Revelation. I know your deeds. And I know you have this reputation of being alive, but if I can be honest, you are not alive, you are dead. I can imagine their their jaws drop, and I can imagine some in the community are like, hey, you you need to read that again, because surely it's a mix-up, but yet the words are still the same. Um, I know your deeds, and in reality, your deeds are unfinished. Um, I know you have this reputation of being alive, but the reality of the situation is that you and your deeds are actually dead. Can you imagine how they would feel, how everything would be navigating in their lives in this morning as they find out they are dead? Now, again, Jesus possesses the fullness of the spirit within them. Jesus is one who desires his people and his church to be alive and thriving, which suggests that if Jesus is saying this church and some of the people within it are dead, this is a church where the spirit is not active and is not working. This is a church and a body of believers, or actually a body of people who happen to not be believers. These are people who are going through the motions. Uh, These are people who are resting upon their reputation, upon their acclaim, upon their prestige, but yet are not living a life in reality to that said thing. Um, These are the people with the scout's uniform on, with mare badges all over for people to see, but yet their lives do not resemble the clothing they may have on. They think they may be alive, but what Jesus says is that their deeds and even your life, they're dead. 
If we took the opportunity to kind of pan out from Sardis and actually just narrowed ourselves down into West Michigan, um, into Kentwood, or to the Fulton Heights location, into Grand Rapids, and we happen to kind of look within Encounter Church, would we find individuals that mimic the reality of those in Sardis? Would we find people who, who have rested upon their reputation and their acclaim and their prestige, but yet their lives do not match said reputation, acclaim, and prestige? Will we find people who have yet to confess Jesus Christ as Lord and who have not fully bought into it, but yet have been going through the motions? Will we find people who think they are alive, but really they've been walking and navigating through a life one of death? Or, or maybe you're someone you have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. You have bought into his mission uh, and his redemptive mission um, for all that for the world. Maybe you have done this, but yet you have found yourself stopping what you once loved to do. Maybe you're so zealous in studying the scriptures, but now you barely have time giving Jesus that two to three minutes before you go off to work. Maybe look at, people look at you as the modeled husband, the modeled married couple, the modeled family, but yet your home life does not resemble what people suggest about you. Maybe people see you on Sunday, you're this great disciple, you're this great elder, you're this great worker and volunteer, but yet your life is not one that's been rooted in Christ lately because of things happening in life. People look at you and suggest, and you even think within yourself that you're alive, but actually, actually you're dead. Heed the words in which Jesus gives to this community. Jesus says, wake up. He, he tells them to wake up and to strengthen the little bit they have left. And I believe the Spirit issues the same exact command and warning for us. Wake up. To, to wake up from your slumber, to wake up from your weariness, to wake up from everything that's going on and to strengthen the little bit that is left. That your reputation, the Lord says, doesn't please me. Your prestige doesn't please me. Your, your excuses don't please me. The reasons why you can't do such and such thing doesn't please me. Just strengthen what is left. Revelation chapter 3, verse number 3. It says, remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come to you. So, so here is Jesus talking to this community, and he desires for them to remember. He, he desires for them to hold fast or essentially to obey. And he desires for them to repent. He wants them to remember the gift of salvation that has been given through the loving sacrifice in which he has done. This is Jesus here. He, he, he wants them to remember the gift of the Holy Spirit that should be present and working and active and alive on the inside of them. He wants them to remember that it is the Holy Spirit that enables them to do the work in which they're doing, not for their reputation and not for their acclaim, but for the glory of the Father. He wants them to remember, he wants them to obey and to repent because these are people who became incredibly prideful of, what, of everything that is before them and the name in which they have instead of seeking to be disciplined and diligent in what the Lord has called them to do. And maybe the Lord is asking some of you to do that same exact thing, to remember to obey, to repent, because maybe you became a little too comfortable and a little too prideful on the things in which you have. You, you've become prideful in the good name. You become prideful of going through the motions. You became prideful of the homes and the cars and the money and the security in which you have. 
And what Jesus says to this community is that if you don't remember, if you don't obey, if you don't repent, I'm going to come to you like a thief and you won't even see me coming. Now, now, when the people of Sardis would actually hear this language from Jesus, um, they would reflect on the two previous occasions where they were actually attacked by their enemies. Now, now, now I know what you're probably thinking. You're probably thinking, well, uh, Clarence, didn't you just tell me um, that these were people who prided themselves on this 15-foot Acropolis that kept their enemies out? Absolutely, I did. But throughout the history of Sardis, there are two occurrences where their enemies actually were to come in and infiltrate them. See, their, their enemies were able to kind of come up a back way or kind of like a back entrance of the Acropolis. And because Sardis was so prideful and resting upon the security and because of, 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 of everything going well for them, they completely were blindsided by the attack that happened to them. And so when they would hear this language from Jesus in the midst of this letter, they will be reminded that just as the enemy came one time and took everything that was special and near and dear that they thought was to cure them, Jesus would likewise come and do the same exact thing, just on a greater degree. All because they thought they were secure in this Acropolis, secure in what they had in place. I wonder how many of us have done the same thing the people of Sardis have done. That we built up our own walls. We built up our own acropolises per se, thinking that the things in which we have and the things in which we happen to do and the things, uh, the reputation in which we have, and we think these things are going to secure us, that they're going to keep us safe, that they're going to hold us all together. Maybe you have a wall of that 401k or that IRA and thinking this is the thing that's going to hold me still. Maybe you have this wall built up again on your reputation and the acclaim of what people suggest about you. Maybe you have this wall built up on the fine homes and the cottage up in Lake Michigan or whatever you think you have. And you think all of this is going to keep you safe. And because everything is working and it's present and everything keeps flowing in, the Lord must be pleased with your life. Heed the words in which Jesus says here that if you don't remember, if you don't obey, if you don't repent, Jesus is going to come like a thief in the night. And everything that you thought was once secure, everything you thought that was once going to save you, everything you think is supposed to hold you down until Jesus calls you home, he will come and wipe it out. And all you'll have left is yourself. When I think of this, I think of the passage in Luke chapter 12, um, verses 35 through 40. Um, it says this, it says, be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning, as though you were waiting for your master to return from the wedding feast. Then you'll be ready to open the door and let him in the moment he arrives and knocks. The servants who are ready and waiting for his return will be rewarded. I tell you the truth, he himself will seat them, put on an apron, and serve them as they sit and eat. He may come in the middle of the night or just before dawn, but whenever he comes, he will reward the servants who are ready. Understand this. If a homeowner knew exactly when the burglar was coming, he would not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready at all times for the son of man will come when you least expect it. What Jesus would say to them and what he would even say to us is there may be many in the room who don't have the garment on and whose lamps aren't burning. 
who are resting on who they are and what they have, thinking there is plenty of time available, not realizing that Jesus could come, could come at any moment. His call to each and every one of you is to remember, to obey, to repent, to dedicate yourself back to him, to become disciplined and diligent once more, to confess and buy into Jesus Christ and to his mission, to come into relationship with him. Because when you do, you'll be given this garment about yourself. You'll be secured for when he does happen to come. Only if you would take the opportunity to be disciplined and diligent and to confess and to buy in to Jesus for the work in which he's done for you. Now, now, now may I suggest that there has been uh, this conviction in which this community has experienced. They, Jesus has given them this challenge, but this commendation in which they desire to see at the very forefront, they now begin to see now in the letter. Uh, Verse number four, it says, yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white for they are worthy. So so here's Jesus saying, look, not everybody in this community has been undisciplined and hasn't been diligent towards me. Not everybody in this community has been going through the motions. Not everybody in this community has been resting upon their reputation and their acclaim and their prestige. But yet there have been some in the community who have remained disciplined and they have been diligent. They have bought into the mission and to the vision of the kingdom of God. These are people who have not soiled their clothes. Now, I'm a very visual person, so when you think of soil, think of, think of a child um, who happens to go outside and they happen to roll around um, on the dirt, um, and then they come into the house, um, they're dirty, their clothes um, are soiled. Or, or, or think of someone who works on a farm. They're out there from 6 a.m. to 6 at night. Um, they've been around the manure and all the rest of the animals. They come in, their clothes are dirty, they're smelly. Um, the, the clothes are soiled. Um, for some of you uh, with little kids, uh, my daughter's three, so we're past this age. I don't wish to come back to it. But think of that baby blowing out their diaper. Nasty, dirty. If it's you, God bless you. It's soiled clothing, right? The, the, the soiled clothing, it represents, it, re- rec- uh, it represents, if I can get it out, it represents being contaminated by sin, but, but these are people who don't have soil clothing on. Jesus calls these people worthy, and, and they are given a white garment. Um, this white garment, it symbolizes purity. It symbolizes holiness. It symbolizes being justified in Christ. So these very people who have remained disciplined, they, they have remained diligent in the faith. They, they have confessed Jesus as Lord and committed to living their life in and for him. Um, they are committed to serving the body as best as they could. These very people are giving a white robe that very much resembles what we just talked about or read about in Luke chapter 12. To those of you who are hearing my voice this morning, if you happen to be someone who has remained disciplined and has made diligent in the faith, someone that you have committed your life to living in and for Jesus Christ, committed to good works uh, for the sake of the kingdom of God and for the localized body in which you are part of, for someone who has continued to find joy in studying the scriptures, joy in spending time with the Lord, joy in gathering a community and sharing all of life together, if that is you, there is a white garment waiting for you 
a white wedding garment that exclaims that you are worthy, not because of what you've done, but because you've trusted yourself to the work and life of Jesus Christ. There is a white garment waiting for you in this banquet we're all looking forward to. If I may, can, can, I, uh, can I talk a little bit about uh, this banquet um, that is kind of mentioned in Luke chapter 12 and this white garment that's kind of referenced to it? If, if I may, I want to talk a little bit about uh, this banquet. Um, and, and I can imagine uh, how beautiful this, blank, uh, this banquet would actually be. Matter of fact, take the opportunity and just to imagine with me. Imagine that you are in line um, and you're ready to go to this banquet. Um, the banquet doors, they're shut, but yet these are the kind of doors where you can kind of still kind of peek through the window um, a little bit. So you're, you're kind of peeking through the window and you can see a little bit of what this room actually looks like. You can see that there are a number of tables and on those tables there are centerpieces and there happen to be uh, uh, plates and knives, forks and spoons and li- little name plates that may suggest where each person is supposed to sit within the banquet room. From the little bit that you can see, everything looks glorious, and you want to go into the banquet room. Before long, the doors begin to open, and you slowly begin to walk, or at least kind of move, take steps in the line to get towards the banquet room. And now that the doors are fully open, now you get a clear picture as to what this room actually looks like. You, you can see the decorations and they look, they look awestruck. You can, you can see everything else around and you can see it looks glorious. It, it's, it's splendid. This room looks incredibly beautiful and you desperately want to get inside the banquet room. With, with each and every step you take forward, you begin to notice people going inside the banquet room. And there are people with big smiles on their faces. Uh, There are people who are incredibly joyful. Some people are crying because of the sheer level of excitement they're experiencing. Other people are scouring around the room, trying to find their seat at the table. And you likewise desire to get inside that banquet room. Um, If you're like me, you're, you're getting a little frustrated because the line is moving a little slow. Um, But even as the line is moving slower, with each and every step you take, you are closer and closer to the banquet room. And before long, you come to realize and understand why this line is moving so slow. This line is moving so slow because Jesus is at the front of the line. Um, He's at the front of the line, and he's saying the name of each and every person to the guest of honor, which is his father, and to the angels. And you're getting even more excited now. You're excited because you see Jesus. You're excited because the Father is present. But you're excited because you're getting closer and closer to the banquet room. There there are smiles and there is joy. There is excitement. There are tears. Everyone's running around and you desperately want to get inside that room. And finally, your moment, your time, the occasion has come. And you have reached the front of the line, and boy, you can get a grand picture of what this room looks like. Everyone is excited. Everyone is joyful. Everything looks beautiful and splendid. Everything looks so right. You desperately want to get inside the banquet room, so you begin to take a couple steps to enter into the room, and right before you enter into the room, Jesus tells you to stop. He tells you to stop. He tells you to Take a couple steps back. He tells you to move off to the side. So, so, you, so you move off to the side. 
and the line continues moving. Jesus says the person's name of each person that's in line to his father and to the angels. Said people go into the banquet room and they're excited. Um, they're, they're, they're joyful. There's tears. They're hugging one another. They're uh, taking part of the beauty of the room. And you're kind of still off to the side. Before long, the last person enters into the banquet room. Jesus gets up, goes into the banquet room, closes the door, and the banquet begins. And here you are, still in the corner, on the outside, looking in with soiled clothing on. Can you imagine the sheer level of grief that would be experienced in that moment? Can you imagine the level of pain that would be experienced in that moment? Could you imagine the level of regret that would be felt in that moment? You're on the outside looking in with soiled clothing on. If you hear this story and you, and you resonate with this individual, again, perhaps you haven't been a person who you haven't confessed Jesus Christ, you haven't bought in, you've been around the church for a very long time and you've been involved, but yet you've never actually made that commitment to make him the Lord of your life. If that happens to be you, Take heed of the encouragement yet that is found here in this text. Because there's hope for you. I know the situation doesn't feel very hopeful. But there's hope for you. Look at verse number five. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I would never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but I will acknowledge that name before my father and his angels. This is the Lord's commitment to you if you happen to fall into this camp. That if you just take the opportunity to remember and to obey and to repent, if you would take the opportunity to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in his heart that God raised him from the dead, if you take the opportunity to fully buy in, Jesus promises you that the same white robe the believer has now will, we be, will be one you will also receive. That he promises that he will never blot out your name from the book. He will say your name to his father until the, until the angels who are also present. Hear me, uh, it's wonderful to hear great and grand things from people around us, but nothing compares to hearing Jesus say my name before his father. Nothing compares to hearing in that moment, well done, good and faithful servant. May I suggest to you as well, maybe you have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. Maybe your eternity is secure, but yet in this process of walking out your walk with the Lord, you will become undisciplined. You become a little apathetic. You have became just complacent in where you are and your clothing, your white garment is looking a little soiled. 
if you would likewise take the opportunity to remember, to obey, and to repent, Jesus will wipe away the dirt and the sin, and he will make you whiter than snow. And this same white garment that all of us receive, we will all have on together to serve and to worship and and just to exclaim the greatness of our God. But here's the thing. The choice is ultimately up to you. You have to want it. Jesus has made a commitment to you that if you come to him, he will wash you, he will forgive you, he will give you the white garment, but you have to make the right choice. So it's ultimately up to you. Uh, When I think about my journey uh, through Scouts, um, when I really think about it, I, I was... I was really apathetic. I was really lazy. Um, Didn't really care. Like I said, I really didn't buy into the whole entire thing. But I remember my dad, he he caught wind uh, of my decision uh, to quit, to be done. Um, And my father gave me a very, very stern talking to. And after my father gave me this stern talking to, I decided amongst myself that I was going to start again. But, but this time it was going to be different because this time I wasn't going to go through the motions. This time um, I wasn't just going to fake it. This time I was going to buy in. Um, I, I was going to buy into scouting. I was going to buy into his mission and to his vision and to its purpose within the very city in which I lived in. So I started doing the work again. And, and seriously, only by the grace of God. Two weeks before my 18th birthday, I completed all the necessary requirements, including my Eagle Scout project, and I was declared an Eagle Scout. Yeah, you guys can clap. If you're not clapping, you should clap. It was a lot of work. Um, but, but, but here's the thing. Here, here, here's the special part of it all. A- after I got my, my Eagle Scout, um, my rank and everything, um, guess, guess where I went shortly after? I, I went to a banquet. I went to a banquet with other Eagle Scouts. And there we are with our uniforms on. There we are with all of our merit badges. There we are with the Eagle Scout rank on our uniform. And we are there and we are happy and we are joyful. We are sharing about the very tough and rigorous journeys, but yet we are rejoiceful that we've made it to the end. We've made it to our reward. May I suggest to you, to heed the very stern warning our Heavenly Father has given. That if you're someone who has not remained disciplined, that you would start again today. That if you're someone who's yet to confess Jesus, that you would confess Him today. Don't allow the undisciplined you may be in now and the reputation and the claim of others today bring about regret in the future. Don't allow where you are now to give you temporary pressure that will give you an eternity of pain. But make the decision today. Confess Jesus and start the right way. For those of you who have Jesus, remember, obey, repent, and start again. Because there is a wedding banquet waiting for each and every one of us as will be before Jesus and the guest of honor, his father. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Uh, God, your your word is indeed a lamp unto our feet and a light into our pathway. 
And God, as we open up the very words that are, that are breathed out by you, God, um, that help in us becoming righteous and for the good works in which you call us to do. Father, not every single word in which we read and that we, is breathed out by you that we hear, God, is one in which we really want to hear. But God, they are words we desperately need to hear. Thank you, Father, Lord, that you did not throw us away when we desire to throw ourselves and throw uh, the work in which we do for you away. Thank you, Father, Lord, that you are always still present, pursuing after us, Father. So, God, I pray, Lord, that you would awaken someone's heart today. God, if someone is in need of being in relationship with you, God, I pray that today will be the day where they stop going through the motions. Stop just being at a place because their family and their friends are there. God, that they would stop resting upon what people say about them. And God, in this moment, would care what you call them, which you desire to call them a child of God. I call them righteous. I call them your own. God, for the person that may be in this room, Lord, who's honestly over time, maybe because of COVID, maybe because of family dynamics, maybe because of just the stressors of life, Lord, who became undisciplined. God, I pray, Lord, that you would light a fire within them again. Lord, that they would have just unsatiable hunger and thirst and zeal to be before your presence and studying the word of God and singing songs and hymns before you and being amongst the body of Christ and serving you all for, the, all for your glory and for the betterment of the kingdom of God. God, it is my prayer that you would do work within every single soul who is here. God, that they will be obedient to your voice and that they would open up their hearts to pursue you to try again. God, thank you for your word. May we not only be hearers of it, but God, by the power of your spirit, help us to be doers of your word. We pray this in the name of our majestic and our glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Hey, church. It's our sincere prayer that this message was able to help you find new life in Christ. And if you did find it helpful, would you consider donating to help drive this ministry forward? And don't forget, there's no substitute for doing life together. So find a worship experience, join a small group or a serving team today. You can do all this at EncounterChurch.org.